Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Turn with me to Genesis 41. Genesis 41. It's been said that the three hardest words to say in the English language, not supercalifragilisticexpialidocious or some hard to say word like that, not Worcestershire sauce or, or, or a word like that. But the three hardest words to say, it's been said, are I was wrong. But I think there might be three words that are harder to say and actually mean. I mean sometimes we are having a conversation and we say, I was wrong uh, to try to end the conversation. We th- and in our head, we're thinking, well, was I really wrong? Was I really that wrong? You've had conversations with somebody like that, right? I, I, I'm, I'm sorry I said that, but here wha- here's why you made me say that, that those kind of conversations. But I think there are three words that are even harder to say and to actually mean from our heart. And those three words are, I forgive you. Forgiveness is one of the hardest lessons that we must all learn and it's a lesson that we're going to look at tonight uh, from the life of Joseph you know, it's not human nature to forgive but it is God's nature God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners he died for us and he extends the offer of his grace, the offer of complete forgiveness, amnesty from all of the high crimes against the high king that we've all ever committed, eternal life with him, if we will admit that we're a sinner who needs forgiveness and call upon him to forgive us. We see incredibly the love and forgiving power of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, you see it in your own life and in the lives of other believers. But sometimes we think, well, that was Jesus. I can't forgive like Jesus. And of course, none of us can forgive perfectly like Jesus. But when we look at the stories and the histories of Scripture, we see a number of examples of men and women who were empowered by God and who were able to do great acts for the Lord, including the great act of forgiveness. And in Joseph, we are going to see one of the most profound examples of this, a man who, because of his trust in God, had the power to forgive. Now, the very idea of forgiveness means that we have been wronged, that we have been hurt. I don't think I shared this quote from uh, A.W. Tozer last week. If I did, here's uh, here's a repeat of it. A.W. Tozer wrote 
it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God actually rises up storms of conflict in relationships at times in order to accomplish that deeper work in our character. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. Incidentally, at uh, lunch this, this afternoon, at uh, luncheon at the lodge, uh, Carolyn, you mentioned that the hardest command in the Bible is probably to love your enemies. And uh, that's what Tozer was talking about here. We cannot love our enemies in our own strength. This, Tozer said, is graduate-level grace. Are you willing to enter this school? Are you willing to take the test? If you pass... You can expect to be elevated to a new level in the kingdom, for he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. You must pass the test first. Joseph is a man who we know of as a great man of faith, but it wasn't simply because of his position of power in Egypt. It was because he allowed God to use him, and one of the greatest works that God did in him was the act of forgiveness. When we see the word forgiveness in the New Testament, it comes from the Greek word, the Greek word, which means to send away. It means that you are taking that hurt, and you're taking that wrong, and you are sending it away from yourself so that you do not have to bear it. Now, before we dive back into Genesis chapter 41, let me just by way of review remind you of the two great life lessons that we are learning over the course of this study of the trials of Joseph and the, uh, the tests that God allowed him to go through in his life. The first one is that God's purposes are beyond our understanding. There's no way that Joseph could have known or could have imagined, even given the prophecy that he received as a, as a young man, that his brothers were going to bow down to him. There's no way that he could imagine that that would only happen after decades, after years of being a slave, being a prisoner, and then being elevated to the palace. God's purposes are beyond our understanding. We have to trust him. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And the second thing that we see is that God blesses those who are faithful. And part of faithfulness is forgiveness. Part of faithfulness is our willingness to forgive. Now, we're going to try to cover a number of chapters tonight. And so some of this is going to be a, a high-level overview like we did uh, the last time that we were together in this study. Uh, we will look at some key verses. Uh, we will read some chunks of these passages. But... I want you to get the big picture. Uh, I don't want to lose the forest in the trees tonight. And so tonight we're going to try to focus on seven specific lessons that we can learn from Joseph's life about the power of forgiveness. Joseph, who did not retaliate against uh, the Ishmaelites, against Potiphar or Potiphar's wife, who did not retaliate against the man who forgot him in prison after he had prophesied of his reinstatement in the palace in service of Pharaoh, and, of course, his willingness to forgive 
the very men, his own brothers, who betrayed him and plotted for his life and then, in fact, did sell him into slavery. You know, sometimes because our family can wound us the deepest, they can sometimes also be the hardest people to forgive when they wound us so deeply. And so Joseph's life is a tremendous, tremendous study on the power of forgiveness. Now let's pick it up where we, uh, or close to where we left off uh, last time we were together. Genesis chapter 41. Uh, Joseph is finally remembered after Pharaoh has these dreams that have disturbed him, disturbed him. And so Joseph is called for from the prison. They take some time to clean him up. Uh, they're not marching him in front of Pharaoh in his orange jumpsuit or whatever they wore back then. Uh, they are taking time to clean him up, give him a shave, and they are marching him into the palace. And here he is. He's been in prison now for years. And Pharaoh says, I hear you can tell my dream. And Joseph said unto Pharaoh in verse 25, the dream of Pharaoh is one. God hath showed Pharaoh what he is about to do. And then he interprets these dreams. Pharaoh, there are going to be seven years of great plenty like, like this land has never seen, like your kingdom has never seen. And then that will be followed by seven years of great um, uh, famine. So seven years of great plenty uh, followed by seven years of, of incredible famine. And so what we need to do, Pharaoh, is we need to prepare. We need to take these seven years of bounty and of blessing and we need to set things aside in anticipation of what is going to come after, because if we just burn through the, the blessing, we won't have anything for the curse that is fo following and we will end up being destroyed. And so Pharaoh says this in verse 37, the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. God gave them uh, the ability to see that what Joseph was saying was the truth. And then Pharaoh said this unto his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, for as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house according unto thy word shall be all my people be ruled only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, see, I have set thee over all the land of of Egypt. Pharaoh took off the ring from his hand, put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in the vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, we see throughout the scriptures times when God will incredibly bless someone and they will capitulate. They will take their eyes off of God and put it on the blessing. Uh, and the, I think maybe the best example of that is King Saul, who was elevated and blessed and then became narcissistic and consumed with himself and afraid of losing what God had given him as if he could keep from God Keep, from, keep God from taking back what God had given him in the first place. And it consumed him. His, his, his jealousy, his bitterness consumed him. We're not going to see that in Joseph. It's been said if you want to 
see what a man is really like, give him power. I think it was Abraham Lincoln, possibly, who had said that. You want to see what a man's really like, give him power, and he'll show you what his character is like. We're going to see what Joseph's character was like, but even a pagan king like Pharaoh could see in that meeting that it wasn't Joseph's charisma. It wasn't his great skill. It was God, and specifically the Spirit of God. Even this pagan king could see the Spirit of God was resting on Joseph. And what I want to start with tonight in terms of the lessons that we can learn is that it's the Spirit who will enable your obedience to forgive. It's not going to come from your own strength. Because if you think that it's your love and your compassion, uh, the devil's going to hear that. And he's going to show you that you there are people that will hurt you so deeply that you in your own flesh do not have the power to forgive them. But God will give you that power. The Holy Spirit will give you that power to obey the command. And, and by the way, let me remind you, forgiveness is a command. And that means it's a decision that you can make and you must make by God's grace. You remember when Peter came to Jesus, Matthew chapter 18, and he said, uh, uh, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brother when he sins against me? Now, I don't know if he's talking about Andrew, who is probably standing right there. Or if they had another brother we don't read about who was a, a real jerk, I don't know. But I, I kind of suspect that he was talking about the brother who was present, sort of like uh, this guy keeps keeps annoying me. You know how brothers can, can pick on each other, right? Some of you know because you are the brother who got picked on. Some of you know because you're the brother who did the, who did the picking. Shame on you. But either way, we can all imagine what that brothers don't always get along. And... Uh, Peter says, how many times do I have to forgive him? Seven times? I mean, seven, that's a pretty good number. It's the, that's the divine number, right? Seven is the perfect number. Jesus said uh, seven, well, that's a, that's a good place to start. But how about 70 times seven? And he goes on to tell the parable of the unforgiving servant who has forgiven this uh, unimaginable debt by the king. And then his first response is to go out and to find somebody who owes him uh, a relatively small pittance of a debt, and he grabs a hold of him and begins shaking him, and you've got to pay me the money, and I'm going to throw you in jail until you pay me the money. And then the king hears, hears about it, and he's enraged by the fact that he had just poured out this unimaginable gift of grace on this man to actually not just postpone his debt, but to forgive his debt. And then the first thing this servant does is he turns around and he finds somebody and, and he doesn't imitate uh, that grace in, in, a, in a small wrong. And Jesus says these words that should haunt all of us. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart, not from his mouth, but from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. If you have a, a Christian brother, a Christian sister, if you have a biological brother, biological sister uh, who is uh, sincerely seeking forgiveness, and we'll get to that in just a moment, and you refuse to forgive, God the Father 
is going to put you in a prison of sorts. Now, this, it, it doesn't mean, Jesus isn't saying that you're going to end up in a literal prison, or a lot of us would have done time by now. But what he is saying is that you will be a prisoner in, in your own mind. God's going to allow some things to come into your life to, to capture you and to hold you in place until you learn how to forgive. And sometimes it's a health issue, and sometimes it's a financial issue, sometimes it's a situation at work. Uh, it can be any number of things that God can allow to come into our life. But Jesus himself, from the lips of the Savior, my Father also will do this. If you have been forgiven all of your sins, and you are now a child of God, once an enemy of God, now a child of God, once, once God's enemy now seated at the table, your cup runneth over, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then you cannot forgive another Christian when they wrong you and they sincerely are seeking repentance as the man in the parable was. Then you have some heart checking to do on recognizing just how much you have been forgiven. The spirit will enable our forgiveness, our ability to our ability to obey the command to forgive. We must forgive as we have been forgiven. It's part of the Lord's prayer that is really the disciples prayer. It's how Jesus taught us to pray. Jesus said, when you pray, pray, forgive us our debts. As in the same way that we have forgiven those indebted to us, forgive us our trespasses in the same way as we have been trespassed against. And so how has Jesus forgiven us? Well, he's done good to us, so we need to do good to those who seek forgiveness. We need to bless those who curse us, Jesus says. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. We're to ignore personal attacks. Now, as I've shared many times in our Sunday morning Bible study, uh, this is not God telling you to enable abuse or to be passive if someone is, is uh, verbally abusing you, but it is to demonstrate patient endurance with somebody who is seeking genuine repentance. We're to give graciously to meet their needs, even those who have, have yet to seek forgiveness. We are to lump uh, hot coals upon their head and being gracious to them. And uh, we're to treat them ultimately the way we want to be treated. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, not as they have done unto you. Uh, Paul says in Romans 12, 21, we overcome evil, not with evil, but we overcome evil with good. And ultimately, we do this to obey Jesus. But there is another very practical application of this, and it's one that we talked about last week. Remember, when uh, Joseph was uh, elevated, uh, we find out that he was, in verse 46, 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So this is 14 years, 14 years after his uh, abduction by his own brothers and his being sold into slavery. He has now been away from his father, away from home, in bondage, in prison, uh, collectively for 
14 years. He's now 30 years old. And uh, in the seven plenteous years, okay, so we're now starting the seven plenteous years. Uh, he is working for Pharaoh. He's serving. And then we find out that he is married in verse 50. He gets married in that time frame. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came. Okay. And Joseph, verse 51, called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Doesn't mean that he forgot who they were. It means that he chose to forget by the power of God. But God had done this. He gives God the glory. He forgot what they had done to him in the sense that he had let it go. That's what the Greek word for forgive means, to send it away. He let it go. And so he names his son Manasseh, which means let it go. Forget about it. Forget the pain of your past. That's a choice that you have to make. It's a decision that you have to make. And you say, I can't do that. You don't know what I... Listen, God knows. God knows. And whatever has happened to us, it does not match. I'm not minimizing the pain that you've gone through. But it does not match the pain that Jesus has gone through for you and for me and for all of us, including those uh, who have yet and even, yes, will never repent and turn to him. Nevertheless, he has made room at the cross, yes, even for them. And so forgiveness frees us from bitterness. Forgiveness frees us from bitterness. There's an interesting story. We don't have time to unpack it tonight from the book of Acts. Uh, there was a man named Simon the Sorcerer who had very real demonic power. And then whenever the revival started to take place in Samaria and he acknowledged who Jesus was and what Jesus had done, and he had an element, he had a had a measure of belief, at least in, in the historical facts of the cross and of the resurrection and he could no longer then have the power to do his witchcraft, his sorcery. He lost his power. And then he saw the disciples doing miracles. And he thought, man, I miss the attention. I'm, I miss having supernatural power and people looking at me with fear and awe. And so he goes to the apostles and he tries to buy the Holy Spirit. And Peter rebukes him and he tells him that you need to repent and then he tells him that what's really the problem here, what the root problem is, is your bitterness. It's in your heart. You have bitterness in your heart. Bitterness will destroy you. He says in Acts 8, 23, I see you are poisoned, Simon, by bitterness and bound by iniquity. See, I have to recognize the self-destructive bondage of unforgiveness. I have to see the damage that it does the stress that it brings and that it causes. And uh, if, if you want to find out about the health risks of stress, my wife would be happy to tell you about the dangers of stress and what that can do. Or another, your provider could tell you about the dangers of stress and what that can do to your body, what that can do to you physically over time. And we bring that kind of stress on ourselves when we refuse to forgive. And so forgiveness frees us from bitterness. Here's the next thing. Forgiveness, as we said last week, Forgiveness also enables thankfulness. 
The very next verse in verse 52, the name of the second he called Ephraim. Why? Because God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He named his son as an expression of thanksgiving for how God had blessed him. Some of us struggle with being thankful. I know there was a season in my life when I struggled with depression and struggled with, I mean, I spent, an, I spent uh, 23 years ago, almost 24 now, I spent the entire month, it was February, so it was the shortest month, okay. But I spent an entire month almost in bed all day. I would get up and I would go to uh, get up long enough to eat. And once a week, I drive to the video store. Uh, back then, Movie Gallery had two for Tuesdays. You could get uh, two videos for a dollar if they were on the old racks, and you can keep them for a week. And I'd stack up for the week. And then I'd go back, and I'd just lay in bed and watch movies. I did that for a month. And finally, my brother-in-law was like, dude, okay, enough's enough. You got time to man up. Time to man up, bro. And so... Uh, Thankfully, uh, God pulled me out of that. But but a lot of it had to do with, you know what, bitterness. Now, now some people some people deal with depression because of medication they're on. And and I always want to be careful to say if you are having struggles with depression, if you're on any kind of medication, you need to let your provider know that you need to let them know that you are struggling because it could just be a side effect. And you got to deal with that. You got to you got to be aware of that. Some people deal with depression because of the circumstances of their life, like Job. Some people deal with depression uh, because of some kind of a chemical imbalance that is going on uh, in their head. Maybe there's some sickness or some physical malady. Some Christians struggle with depression because of spiritual attack. Charles Spurgeon had bouts with depression. The great, uh, the great evangelical preacher, considered by many one of the greatest preachers, uh, of the last several hundred years. And he had, he had seasons where he struggled with depression, and he said that he felt that it was because of, of, what he, of what he was doing in his ministry, that he was under supernatural demonic attack. But sometimes we struggle because of our own sin. Sometimes we struggle because of bitterness, because of unforgiveness, because of the roots that can tie us up. And I can... Just speaking from spiritual experience and personal experience that that for me in that in that time in my life, it was because of of some um, sin that I was not dealing with and, and some bitterness and, and resentment and, and anger that was just consuming me and making me a miserable person to be around. And I'm so thankful for the friends that I had. I don't know why they stuck with me, but they did stick with me through those. Yeah, I mean, your family has to. Right. I mean, I'm so thankful for them sticking with me, too. Still thankful for my family, of course. But. For those friends who stuck with me, forgiveness enables thankfulness. And so if I have uh, uh, let me just suggest if you either today or, or a year from now or, or, or whenever, if you are ever find yourself in a season of life where you are having a hard time being thankful to God, the first thing I would say to you, and I pray the Holy Spirit brings this to your remembrance, is is there unforgiveness? Is some is there somebody I'm not forgiving? And so uh, I'm in that prison. God's. God's put me in that prison and I, I'm not going to get out until I forgive. Forgiveness enables thankfulness. Now, here we see Joseph give God the glory for his forgiveness. God, has, God, you have enabled me to forget and you have blessed me and I'm so thankful. But guys, I got to tell you, if you if you are experiencing the freedom and the blessing that comes from God, 
when we are faithful in forgiveness, I have to warn you, number four, that your forgiveness will be tested. Forgiveness will always be tested. It's not just a choice that we make in the abstract. It's not just a hypothetical that we play. If we make a decision that we are going to forgive, it will be tested. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live at peace. Live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible, but as much as depends on you. Don't, don't you be the reason before God that there's a conflict. There are going to be people who conflict with you. There are going to be people who hate you just because you name the name of Jesus. There are going to be people that hate you because of the kind of church that you come to. There are going to be other Christians right now. I mean, it is, it is appalling to see in response to what is happening uh, in Israel, November 2023, what is happening in Israel and the way that some Christians are responding and, and I'm not saying that we should advocate or defend blindly anything that the leadership of Israel is 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 doing because uh, they are living in rebellion against King Jesus. We and we know we just studied the book of Revelation. We know how that's going to end for them. Uh, the bad and then ultimately the good when they finally do repent and finally do look on him whom they pierced. But nevertheless, the 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 anti-Semitism in the church today is appalling it is disgusting, and we're seeing that hatred that is coming against the Jewish people because they are the Jewish people. There will be hatred and opposition just because of who we are. And we, in those moments, we must not grow weary. We must not lose heart. We must continue to do the work, and that includes... The work of forgiveness. Paul says in Galatians 6, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. And when our forgiveness is tested, sometimes we give up and we go, we fall back into resentment. We fall back into bitterness and we lose the harvest that God wanted. Now, how was his forgiveness tested? Well, of course, in chapter 42, again, we're not going to read every single verse. We don't have time for that tonight, but Jacob saw in verse one that there was corn in Egypt. Jacob said unto his sons, why do you look one upon another? Behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Get you down hither and buy for us from thence that we may live and not die. Because the famine that God had prophesied did not just impact Egypt. It impacted that whole part of the world. And so it impacted what was going on back home for Joseph. And Jacob sends Ten of his sons, he holds back Benjamin, the youngest, who wasn't he wasn't a baby anymore. Remember, because uh, uh, he had already been born uh, before uh, after J after uh, Joseph. And he he was already uh, growing up before Joseph was sold into slavery. But now he's 14 years older than that. And in fact, uh, 21 years older than that. Right. Because if he was 16 and then he was 30 and now we're seven years into the famine. So so Benjamin's not a little kid. He's not even just a teenager. He's, he's in his 20s at the very least. And uh, nevertheless, because he has lost his son, Joseph, he thinks to death, he 
does not Jacob will uh, not release Benjamin. And so the other 10 brothers, the 10 guilty brothers go down to Egypt and Joseph, we're told they came down. Notice um, in verse six, Joseph was the governor of the land and it was he that sold to all the people of the land. And so Joseph's brethren came and bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brethren and he knew them but made himself strange unto them and spoke roughly unto them. And he said unto them, whence come ye? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brethren, but they knew not him. And verse nine, Joseph remembered the dreams which he dreamed of them all those years ago and said unto them, ye are spies to see the nakedness of the land. Ye are come. Now, my son, uh, when he first encountered this story, he had a hard time understanding why would they not recognize their own brother? And I tried to explain to him, well, you know, a lot of years had passed. And he said, well, yeah, but he recognized them. And I said, yeah, but you got to realize when you're a teenager and you add those years, you change a lot more than when you're in your 20s or 30s or 40s and you add a few years. You, the change is more dramatic. And also, remember, he's not dressed like he's in Canaan anymore. He's wearing the, the dress and, and the... Uh, the makeup, if you will, of the of the Egyptians and of an Egyptian leader. And so he is able, even in front of his own brothers, to disguise himself. And uh, he is going to now, as his forgiveness is tested, he is now going to test them. And so this brings us to the fifth thing that I would share with you tonight, and that is that forgiveness may take time may take time it's not just a decision that you make once it's a decision that you make over and over and over again it's a process forgiveness is a process years ago i heard chipping uh, pastor chip ingram uh, speaking on forgiveness and he put it this way forgive forgiving forgiven in other words you will, make, you will need to make a conscious decision. I'm going to forgive that person. And then that process will begin, but it will continue. And you're going to have to remind yourself, I'm forgiving them. I'm forgiving them. And the devil's going to bring it. I'm forgiving them. I'm forgiving them. And your own sin nature is going to come up and it's going to remind you of, of the pain and the hurt. And you're going to have to say, I'm forgiving them. I'm forgiving them. But if you will stay faithful in the process, you will get to the point where you can say, no, I've, I've forgiven them. I, I don't hold that against them anymore. I've, rele I've released myself. I have sent the pain away. I've released myself from it. And now I can give God the glory. And now I can give God the thanks for it. But it is going to take time. He made the decision years ago. But now the decision has been tested again. And he is in the process of forgiving. It's it's part of it's one of the many things that Paul is talking about when he says in Philippians two that you have to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You have got you, we don't work for our salvation, but we work out our salvation. Once you get once you are saved, you have to work it out. There are some things you've got to work through and forgiveness is one of the many things that we have to work through. When Paul said in Romans 12, you have to be a living sacrifice Forgiveness is one of the things that, that makes us have to keep getting back on that altar every day and climbing back on. We have to be that living sacrifice. We're going to keep ourselves on the altar. I'm doing this for Jesus. I'm doing this for me. Uh, I, I'm not even primarily doing it for them. 
I'm releasing them because I want to be free. But that brings us to this next point. And, and I'm just going to summarize, for sake of time tonight, the next couple of chapters. Uh, if you don't know the story, I encourage you when you go home tonight to read this entire story. But basically what is going to happen is Joseph is going to trick them and is going to actually frame them for crimes that they did not commit. They take the money, uh, their, their money that, that their father sent them to purchase the corn, and they use it to purchase the corn. And then uh, while they're sleeping, uh, Joseph has the money put back in their saddlebags. And so they get back on the road and they find out the money that they thought they had spent, in fact, they had spent, is now back. And it looks like they stole the corn. And they're, they're, all, right, they're all looking at each other because they all know the kind of guys they are. They grew up together. And they're like, you didn't steal it, did you? No, I didn't steal it. I hate, I, and they realize, they come, then they realize God is testing us because of what we've done. God is judging us. God is disciplining us because of what they've done. And then they have to go back home and they have to convince dad to send Benjamin back because Joseph wants to see his brother, Benjamin, who he dearly loves. And Benjamin was his younger brother. They're from the same mother. And they were closer than, of course, his, he and his other brothers who all hated him. Benjamin didn't hate him. And he wants to see his brother that he loves. He wants to see his kid brother. And so finally, the famine gets so bad again in Canaan that they they convince finally their, their father, Jacob, to send Benjamin back to Egypt with them. And by the way, one of the brothers has been in prison this whole time because uh, Joseph said, I'm not sending him back. By the way, he was the one who wanted to kill. He was, the, he was one of the, he was one of the, uh, the bloody brothers uh, who had murdered all uh, of the men in the village, you remember, when we studied that uh, a month or two ago, actually a couple months ago now. And so there was an imprisonment for the one brother, and the other brothers go back, and they finally get Benjamin, they bring him back, and then even then, as Benjamin's leaving, he does it again. He frames them. He puts the, uh, uh, the, the thing in, in uh, uh, Benjamin's um, satchel, the, the, the cup that he pretends that he had stolen, and there's this whole process, and then finally he reveals himself to his brothers, and there is weeping, and there is... And there is a fear <laughs> for the brothers, but then joy when they recognize that Joseph is not going to kill them. And then he sends them back to go get, go get their dad and, and convince him finally that, you're, hey, by the way, um, yeah, I, 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 I know that we told you that your son was dead, but, but really he's actually in Egypt. We didn't, we didn't kill him, uh, but we did sell him into slavery. But, but please forgive us. It's been years ago, and, and he really wants to see you. And um, I can't imagine the, right, the explosion that took place in Jacob's head. We'll, we'll get there eventually. But why, why all of the theatrics? Why all of the, the drama? Why all of the deception? Well, understand number six. Forgiveness looks for true repentance. Now, this is where we have to, let me just, let me just zero in here just for a minute. Because I think this is an area where sometimes we get confused. We talk about forgiveness, but when we talk about forgiveness, we're really talking about two different things. Number one is the willingness to forgive regardless. God wants us to have the willingness to forgive regardless. That's, that's a blanket. 
That's something that we need to be ready to do. Jesus died for all of us while we were yet sinners. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus has offered forgiveness to anyone and everyone. That's the first step in forgiveness. The willingness to forgive. But see, there's a second part of forgiveness, and that's the work of forgiveness. And the work of forgiveness is only offered and only given in response to genuine repentance. Jesus died for everyone. Not everyone goes to heaven. Only those who receive the gift. Jesus said on the day he rose from the dead to his disciples that you guys must go and you must preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. You're my witnesses, Jesus said. You go preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins without repentance. There is none. There is none. There must be genuine repentance. Do you know what John the Baptist said when he's out on the Jordan Uh, On the banks of the Jordan preaching and the Pharisees started to come and say, hey, we want to be baptized, too. We want to we want to be forgiveness. He said, you guys are a bunch of vipers. Come back when you have some fruit of repentance. Come back when you have the fruit of repentance and then I'll baptize you. But you have no you have no fruit of repentance. You're not sincere. I'm not going to extend forgiveness to you if you're not sincere. And this is where sometimes we get tripped up. You must be willing to forgive regardless, but you do the work of repentance in response. You do the work of forgiveness, excuse me, in response to genuine repentance and depending on the nature of the sin. And this was a major sin. They had plotted to murder their own brother. That's a big one, guys. They had sold him into slavery. That's a big one. They had covered it up. They told his father that he was dead when he wasn't. That's a big one. And because of the extent and because of the conspiracy to do it all, Joseph said, your repentance will be tested. Just as my forgiveness is being tested by God, God wants me to test your forgiveness as well. Don't extend the work of repentance when there is not genuine I keep getting my words mixed up let me start again don't extend the work of forgiveness when someone has not genuinely repented trust must be earned you must have that now and this is why it's a hard issue guys because because God sees your heart Jesus sees your heart Jesus knows if it's really genuine that you are willing but you're waiting to see if there's genuine fruit God knows that God knows that that's who you're accountable to. And then if you are willing to forgive and you see genuine repentance, as Joseph did see genuine change, genuine repentance, and he reveals himself and then he gives the work of forgiveness to his brothers. We have to exercise discernment when we forgive. And ultimately, again, this is a a work of the Holy Spirit in our heart. This is something that frees us from bitterness. This is something that enables us to be thankful to God. When we pass the test in the process over time and we find true repentance and extend the work of genuine forgiveness, we see ultimately 
that forgiveness is fueled by our faith in the Lord. Because, and, and again, this is a spoiler alert. We're, gonna, we're coming back to, to this when we get to chapter 50. After Israel died, and then the ten brothers said, okay, now Joseph is, is going to kill us because he was, only, he was only pretending to forgive us. And Joseph said, guys, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Don't you see what God has done? Why would I kill you? Look what God has done. See, our forgiveness is fueled by our faith in the Lord. And really, when we refuse to forgive, it's because our eyes are not on the Lord. And so we got to get our eyes on the Lord and we get to put our faith in the Lord, not in people. Somebody was uh, just sharing a, a story today about uh, someone who they talked to, Vicki, uh, I won't say where, but uh, inviting it to church, essentially trying to invite them to church. Oh, I will never go to church. It's full of hypocrites. You're never going to get me to go to church. What does that say? It says that their, their faith isn't in the Lord. Their eyes aren't on Jesus. Their eyes are on the people that have hurt them. And you'll never grow in your faith if your eyes are on people. I will fail you. Your, your friends will fail you. Jesus will never fail you. Jesus will never fail you. So if we keep our eyes on Jesus, our faith in the Lord will fuel our forgiveness and we will experience freedom and blessing and thankfulness and more blessing and we'll see God working in our life like we've never seen before. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, uh, God, incredible man that you used to save his family, to save the nation, but God, you're still using him in the example that you've given us in Scripture. You're still using him to, God, inspire uh, our willingness to forgive, our works of forgiveness. And God, inspiring our faithfulness and our trust and our willingness, God, to keep our eyes fixed on you, not on our circumstances, to put our faith in you, not in people. And so, God, help us uh, to more and more model the faith and forgiveness of Joseph in our own day-to-day -day lives. We love you, Father. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.